Yeah, Demon Theory. Um, on Halloween night, six medical students get a call that one of their diabetic mothers at a remote farmhouse is in jeopardy. So they go out there to try to administer what they see as aid. And turns out that the problem at that old farmhouse isn't diabetes. It's gargoyles in the sky or demons in the sky or something in the sky that's snatching people up. And everybody gets snatched up more or less. And then there's part two, Demon Theory 17, which is set at a hospital with the same characters. And then there's Demon Theory 18, which is back at the farmhouse with the same characters. And it's kind of, to me, like they're just, they're caught in a, like a little, um, like a narrative eddy, it feels like, you know? And they're just getting sucked into the same issues over and over again. It doesn't matter if they, I mean, it matters if they die, but um, death isn't everything we think it is either, you know? So for the listeners, before we start chatting, um, this episode is a little bit different because Demon Theory, first of all, you know, the release that we're talking about already came out. It already got to the 500 lucky people who got to uh, get a copy of this limited release. So this is different. It's not pre-release public uh, promotion. This is, hey, this is a book that, you know, um, came out a long time ago and, um, it's just a great opportunity to talk about something that, you know, kind of is, is, is big in Steven's um, origin kind of, of, of writing. And uh-huh. Jesse is here as well, first of all, because Steven and Jesse know each other very well, but also uh-huh. I can't think of another person beyond Jesse who would know more about Steven and his writing. So uh, where I feel intimidated knowing stuff about your work, I can always lean on Jesse to be like, no, this is really, you know, what happened or this is the date that it was, you know, whatever. So Jesse's kind of yeah. a, has an encyclopedic knowledge of your, of your work. So, um, it's good. It's pro- probably better than my knowledge. Huh? <laughs> oh man. I think my, my encyclopedia is starting to lose some pages as I get older. <laughs> Um, so yeah, really the goal of this is demon theory originally released a long ass time ago and you got kind of a window to show some of the world of it again. Um, and, and so I was like, what the hell let's, let's chat about that a bit. And here's the thing that happened. So I got my book, I start reading it and everything. And I, you have this nice, like, uh, it's 20 ish, 15, 20 page introduction at the beginning of it. And all of my thoughts about what we would talk about in this episode totally changed. I was like, this is the conversation, like Steven's story about how the book, you know, kind of originated and the ups and downs of it and the influences and, and everything that was like, Holy shit, this could be a whole episode in itself. So if it seems like I'm leaning toward questions mm-hmm. about that kind of stuff is because it's so yeah. incredibly fascinating. Well, thank you. Yeah, um, no, let's, let's do it, man. Yeah, I'm ready. I can try to answer. I wrote this back in, <laughs> I read it in what ninety nine, I guess. So that's twenty four years. So I, I can't guarantee my memory's perfect, you know. Yeah. You know the original now, uh, title for this. It, it wasn't Demon Theory though. Y'all probably know this. It was All the Beautiful Sinners. When I wrote this in ninety nine, that was the title of it, and I gave it to a publisher. I didn't give it to a publisher. We submitted it to a lot of publishers, and they all said, "You know, this is stupid. This is just House of, Le- House of Leaves fan fiction." You know, and um, and which of course broke my heart, and. And then in '02, that a publisher hit me up to write a thriller, which I wrote for them, and I was calling it a terrible name, Subterranean Iron Horse Blues. And that was a publisher who had seen All the Beautiful Sinners, which was Demon Theory. And they said, what if we took this title and moved it over here? And I, and I figured Demon Theory would never get published. So I said, sure, take that title. It doesn't matter. And so then I had to come up with a new title for what's now Demon Theory. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um. I re I re-listened to back when I was doing the booked podcast, we did a, mm-hmm. a review of Demon Theory and I re-listened to that and it was um with our, our mutual friend Misty Bennett was was on the mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. too. And one of the things that we brought up was like, Oh, you know what? I never realized it, but he name dropped all the beautiful sinners in it. And only mm-hmm. in, when I got mm-hmm. this book and read your introduction did I realize, <laughs> oh, he wasn't name dropping another book. That was the name of the book. Like it was the roll yeah. credits like moment. Yeah. Yeah, the book, the book didn't have a title until I think it's Nona who says that, if I remember correctly. Until she says that, you know, yeah, then, yeah. then it became that. Yeah, huh? Yeah, that's pretty cool. But yeah. Demon Theory as a name uh, mm. is 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 large in your life because mm. I, I believe your website is still demon theory.net. Yeah. 
It is, um, yeah. Like all the like StephenGrahamJones.com.net. Like there's a lot of things that direct to Demon Theory, but it always feels weird to me those vanity URLs. You know, like <laughs> like I feel weird telling somebody go to StephenGrahamJones.com like I'm doing like a Honda ad or something. You know, and so Demon <laughs> Theory to me is. And you're right, what you said earlier that Demon Theory is kind of at the core of who I am as a writer. To me, it works really well. It's kind of like a banner flying over all my stuff or my URL, my domain name. You know. Yeah. It's um, a really good name, and I mean, thinking too the the cover art for the original publication of Demon yeah. Theory, man, that is just it blows me away to this day how subtle mm-hmm. and understated yet amazing it is. And I could you could yeah. kind of apply that to all your works too, just like the name you could fit yeah. under that banner. It's like it's just this perfect yeah. image. Yeah, yeah, and I, I it would be neat if all my all my covers had like film sprockets on the side. I think that'd be really <laughs> cool too. <laughs> Maybe, uh, well, I would get into like the ins and outs of how like treacherous publishing is at some point, but like I could imagine like just a volley of re-releases that all have a themed um, style of yeah. cover, which would be kind of interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, that would be like the when they reissued like Philip K. Dick stuff, it all looked the same on the shelf, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lansdale too, Lansdale yeah. and Jim Thompson, they all got yeah. which those might have been the same publisher, just different arms of it, like yeah doing the yeah all these books are gonna have like a tone to the covers mm-hmm. and whatnot mm-hmm. the trick is with with my back catalog we've my agent and i have recently been trying to pull pull it together so we could do something like that and it turns out that it's not pulled togetherable <laughs> you know because <laughs> like, i signed some bad i signed some bad contracts back in the day so stuff is going to be eternally locked up and like demon theory unless i get lawyers involved it's probably always lost to me you know the 2006 version anyways Oh man, that's crazy. I had no idea that it was to that extent. I kind of thought maybe you were just going to say like to do that road, like flush boy by the cover would look like some super scary horror novel to to just fit the theme of the covers. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, of all my books, I mean, of all my novels, flush boy is the scariest to me. You know, I do not want to work that job. (laughs) No. (laughs) And I thought fast Um, food was bad when I was younger. (laughs) Um, yeah. yeah, so the publishing, my, like being mired, uh, at least the 2006 version was was definitely something that mm. kind of inspired me to want to talk about this too, because mm. there is uh, generationally like new people that are coming to your books, especially mm. in the last probably three years. Mm-hmm. And um, I think anybody who falls in love with an author is going to want to get everything they can from you. And mm. because of... Um, a lot of your stuff being released on independent, like I know that lazy fascist had some stuff of yours and they mm-hmm. no longer exist and broken river. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're still, I, I'm not sure exactly where they stand, but there's like mm-hmm. a lot of publishers mm-hmm. that, um, yeah. um, you know, yeah. and hopefully you can get your rights back from, you know, what you can yeah. from that. But, yeah. um, like it came from Del Rio, for example, mm-hmm. either. I think you have to try and find a copy somewhere or, or that's yeah. all she wrote kind of, um, yeah. So yeah. Uh, that's something where if you become an enthusiast of something, then it's like you get your Greg Greens of the world who will mm-hmm. not let anything get in their way of, of getting the stuff that they want from you. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. uh, it, it makes it like, kind of like makes me feel like, oh, man, there, there needs to be a solution. And it sounds like at least you're trying to do that um, yeah. to the yeah. best of your ability. Yeah, I am. Um, the the FC two books like Bird Is Gone, Lead Feather, and Fast Drug Road, they'll probably always be FC two, I suspect. And I'm not I'm not I'm not terribly sad about that because FC two gave me my start, and I still like their ethos, you know. And they, they publish they publish like bleeding edge stuff um, that's not supposed to work, and sometimes it does, and I really appreciate that. Um, um, I bet the Dezank stuff will probably stay with Dezank, and I'm supposed to say Zank. I just never can say Zank. I always say Dezank. Um, <laughs> The Eraserhead stuff, which is the umbrella over Lazy Fascist and Broken River, that that stuff will come back to me. Um, I've got Nolan Dugatti back. I've got Del Rio back, and I might get some lawyers. And I might get some lawyers involved because Demon Theory and Growing Up Dead in Texas are both at the same place. And um, if I can get both those back, that would be really good. And States of Grace, I think I can do whatever I want with it. Um, what is it? Three miles past. Three miles past, and. Sterling City, I think if those aren't mine, I think they could be. Gospel no. of Z was on um, something. Yeah, I've else got that too. back too. That was um, 
Was that Sam Hain? That might have been Sam Hain. Yeah. Sam Hain, yeah. I was going to say Shamrock, but I'm like, no, no, wait, no, yeah. that's wrong. It's just the logo <laughs> Silver, or something. Silver Shamrock, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I got Gospel of Z. Um, what else is there? I can't remember them all. But um, let me think. Mongrels. I bet Mongrels stays with William Morrow, I suspect. The, yeah. um, what was it? The, the grown up dead in Texas demon theory all being under yeah. the same umbrella because of all the various things that happened over the year and all the changing of hands or whatever. Didn't that yeah. also kind of affect the publication of a different novel too, that yeah. never, never yeah, came yeah. out washed in the blood or something? I think. Washed in the blood. Yeah. Washed in the blood. That's right. It was another, it was a novel about elk setting what set in West Texas. Well, I say about elk, it had elk in it, you know, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I love, I loved, I liked, I loved watching the blood, but um, it, I doubt if it ever comes out. Yeah, it's it was supposed to come out with MP who did Growing Up Good in Texas, and and then they did that weird thing where I turned the novel in and they were about to give me notes on it, and then it showed up on Amazon with a synopsis that was every single beat of the book, you know, <laughs> which was really an odd thing to do. It wasn't, it wasn't like teasy, like maybe this will happen, maybe that'll happen. It was like an outline, like this, 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 and this happens. <laughs> I remember seeing that, like stumbling upon it, being like, oh, cool, there's another one coming out. And then I'm like Mm -hmm. reading the description, and it's it's just going on longer than descriptions usually do on Amazon. It's like scroll, scroll, scroll. I'm like, did I just read like the entire book almost? (laughs) It was weird. I've never never had that happen before. But yeah, we broke up with them pretty quickly, right around like that week, I think. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So. Demon Theory, back to Demon Theory and its publication, yeah. Ups and Downs. Um, the 1999 version is the one mm-hmm. that you shaped into this limited SST release. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I wouldn't, you... I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say shaped. I just found the file on my hard drive and sent the file <laughs> whole to, to Paul Fry at SST. I didn't, I didn't go over it. Um, he did go through and copy edit it, but the copy edit, there was like so few errors. I mean, I'm not saying I'm a perfect writer. I'm, I'm saying somebody back in 99 had gone over it for me. You know, I don't I have no <laughs> idea who anymore. And so he was just like, maybe there'd be a word missing every 40 pages or something. It wasn't, it wasn't a extensive redo or anything like that. This is pretty much as it was in 1999. That's but awesome. the weird thing is, I had no idea there were so so few footnotes in this in this version. You know, um, I remember there being a lot more footnotes in 1999. So there could be if I if I hadn't lost all my email from back then, I bet I could dig up a copy that is like partway between this version and the 06 version. You know, yeah. but I lost all that email at all. I don't know where it went somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. But the addition at the end, I thought was really cool. Your bonus materials that show up after mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. original manuscript is the, um, the, um, I'm going to forget her name. Oh man, I feel oh, so D- bad. Delic- be- Delicia, Delicia Williams. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. who, uh, had kind of just out of kind of a, it grew out of like just fandom was drawing mm-hmm. demon mm-hmm. theory and then approached you and showed you it. And then it, it turned mm-hmm. into a collaboration. So yeah. there's like almost, 200 pages of extra stuff that's all these you know sketches mm-hmm. and actual like comic book pages and stuff like that and the scripts mm-hmm. that go along with it so yeah um that was a nice little treat to throw in there too yeah i really want i mean i was really tempted to go back into those scripts and um like now that i'm writing comic books like i wrote that as imagining what it would be like to write a comic script you know and now that i'm writing comic scripts i, under, I think i have a better handle on how to do one i was really tempted to go back into those scripts and make it look like I'm smarter, you know, but I figured um, <laughs> that would be dishonest. That wouldn't, that, so I, I just left them as they were. And hopefully there's nothing terrible in there. I don't even know. I didn't read them, but I didn't read them over when I sent them. So there's almost something archival about that. Like what well, this whole project seems like it's more like a snapshot of time than yeah. representing what you did in a way that you want it to look now or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I heard some, I saw somebody somewhere saying this is like the authorial version or the preferred version, and I don't think I'd go quite that far. This is just the 1999 version, you know. <laughs> I don't know what my preferred version is. I haven't really thought it through, you know. Um, I do like a lot of the like nested footnotes in the 06 version. How it's just like you're falling down a staircase, and you're like, "There's more. There's more. We're still going," you know. <laughs> it's like Homer falling into what Springfield Gorge or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I could be I could be totally misremembering, but isn't there a part in the 06 version where it gets to like mm. 
it's almost two solid pages of footnotes yeah. nested within each yeah. other. Yeah, there it's like is. Such a fun spiral just following all that. Was. And that, that's that's why the trade paperback that came out, I guess, in 07 has the footnotes all turned to endnotes because the mm-hmm. file for the 06 version was way too complicated for the printer to read again, evidently. Because I had made a couple of typos in the 06 version. Like, I think I have a Van Halen album. I have the wrong Van Halen, Van Halen album listed once. And there was one other typo. So I went in and fixed those and resent it. And for some reason... I guess I had a new version of, I think I was probably on, I don't know if I was on Word back then or Linux Word Perfect. I was on something that didn't talk to their InDesign very well. And so the file blew up and they're like, we can't do it. They So they had to, I'm not sure what it means. They had to shoot from glass, which I guess means a photograph. I don't really understand. Mm. But that's why the footnotes all became endnotes. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, is that how the... The ebook ended up being kind of similar. Um, how how because, is the ebook? I don't know if I ever are the the notes. Oh, the notes are you like touch the number and it shoots you to the end. Is that right? Well, yeah, and I never looked at the ebook, but um, yeah. in our booked review of it, um, yeah. Livius, that's how he had read it, and he had said yeah. something about how like the initial linked um, footnote that took you there fine, but some of the like sub mm. notes uh-huh. afterwards got lost so like if yeah. it wasn't in the well, first note bad. he didn't see it or something so oh, i was bad. feeling that maybe maybe that had something to do with it um yeah but. no that, i mean that's it's definitely problematic having nested footnotes like that um and i've never listened to the audio for this either i thought i tried to listen to it when it came out and i listened to like the first five minutes of audio sample or something and um and the person reading it did not have like an accent like mine. And so the, it totally jangled with what was in my head for this book. And so I <laughs> never did it again, you know, but I'm nice. guessing there's no footnote, no footnotes in the audio production. Jesse, what are your thoughts about the different incarnations of, of demon theory? Have you, um, you have the 2006 version. You have obviously this one. Have you experienced any of the more digital stuff or no or paperback? So I have I have the paperback. I also have the <clears throat> excuse me the Canadian um, publication, which was a paperback only. I believe it came out through Anchor, oh, really? Anchor Canada. Um, so I have that, and that is similar to the McAdam Cage paperback. the The footnotes are endnotes. I do have the the ebook. I remember. I'm sure when it came out or was up for pre order, I was just like, yes, you know, just. Uh-huh. No brainer click. Um, and I don't think, I don't know if anyone knew at the time. Um, I mean, out in the, you know, the readership world or whatever about the, the rights issues with that. Um, but yeah, I would get, yeah, I, cause I have the books. I never opened the ebook. It was more about, I can yeah. carry this book with me literally, like it's on my phone. So I had it yeah. that way. But yeah, knowing that it was essentially stolen, I'm like, I can't even yeah. bring myself to open up the ebook yeah. to to take a look at it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a strange story of of this book post publication kind of. Um Yeah. Um, I am a fan of the footnotes though. I mean, since we were yeah. touching on that, I'll say that I I was nuts about the footnotes when that first came out. Like I didn't even need to read them really. Cause I kind of had all the info in my head already, like all the horror movie stuff, all the rock and roll stuff. Like, you know, most of that yeah. I just knew, but I just kind of liked the journey aspect of it. Like just following the yeah. footnotes down and down and down and seeing where it goes was, was such an awesome thing. And um, I've always liked every, everything about the presentation of the novel, just the idea that it's this sort of adaptation of an adaptation of an adaptation or, you know, Rob, whatever it was I said to you the other day, like I just, that yeah. blew me away. I'm like, that's a really good approach to it. Like it's, I'm like, this is perfect. This is so horror. It's a trilogy and it's, it's all these <laughs> things and you don't, you kind of don't know what's what too. So like a little bit of unre- unreliableness and um, yeah. whether it's the narrator or whatever, just kind of added to yeah. the, the feeling of it, the vibe. Yeah. You know, the, that, cause you're right. Like most of the, most of the footnotes I tried to be strictly factual, but to me that allowed me, um, I don't know. It allowed me some leash th- from the reader to lie, you know? So every once in a while I'd sneak a lie into the footnotes. Um, like there's one in there about how Phil Collins 
based in the air tonight on Jason Voorhees drowning, you know, and I'm, <laughs> and I was, I was having lunch with somebody back in about 2010 in Denver. And, and they started telling me that they never knew that about Phil Collins. So that's really cool that he's a slasher fan. And I had to tell them that I made that up, dude, you know, <laughs> I was just lying. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, my two thoughts about the, the footnotes element of the book mm-hmm. were, um, first of all, it was like we got to kind of see inside your head personally because um, and I know you well enough to know that the thing, a lot of the stuff that shows up in there, like the type of music that's referenced in the horror movies and stuff like that was really just like things that you were in. A lot of it is things you were enthusiastic about. So it almost felt like you were telling me the story and going off on tangents while I was getting the story from you, which um, like kind of endeared me to the story a little bit more. Oh, cool. Um, You know, it, in 99, I think going off on a tangent about like pro wrestling and monster trucks and hair metal <laughs> was like, that was yesterday. But now in 2023, when this SST version comes out, it's a different, there's a different distance back to that stuff. You know, it's like, Oh yeah. Why is, why is grandpa talking about twisted sister? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I didn't even think about that, but that's interesting too. Yeah. Cause yeah. I mean, obviously, like, we're all of similar age, so mm-hmm. we we knew all that stuff from life and from growing up and whatnot, and mm-hmm. we've read the the original publication, we've read the book, so we're familiar with it, but I didn't think about that. Yeah. Maybe someone just picking this up today for the first time, being like, yeah. why, are, why are they dressed like <laughs> the the people from that TV show? Like, why is that, <laughs> why are they going to the, the party dressed like that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, I had somebody ask me at a, a Q&A somewhere they said why do all your characters listen to music from about like 87 to 89 and I was like I don't know you know <laughs> it could be any reason <laughs> yeah that's funny <laughs> um and then like the format of it obviously you acknowledge uh in the introduction a bunch um how the the, the footnotes and everything strikingly similar to uh, Daniel Levski's House of Leaves that, uh, uh, or not striking similar, but like parallel, I would say is probably a better way to say it, um, to something Daniel Levski did with House of Leaves, um, at the kind of the same time. And so, um, that was, that was a weird thing, but then I was, I was reading that and I was thinking about, so, um, our friend Misty Bennett has a great story about, um, seeing you in Texas and it was at a thing where Mark Danielewski was there too. And she like totally... Yeah, yeah, and she totally yeah. like ignored him because she was like excited yeah. to see you and get Demon Theory uh, <laughs> signed and everything. And I was like, "This is like your retribution. Like you, you turned people to bigger fans." Um, and obviously, Mark is awesome. I think he's a yeah. brilliant guy and he writes awesome stuff. Yeah. So obviously, no no negative on him. But I love that story mm-hmm. from Misty because like that's the turnaround of of what you said in that introduction. <laughs> You know, I remember at that event, um, I think I got him to sign a house of leaves for me, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe I still have it. I always give my, I always give my books away and I, I never care if they're signed or not. So I don't know what I have anymore, you know? And, but, um, yeah, I, I distinctly remember that event. The reason I remember it so well is because number one, like he wasn't like in a normal chair up on stage. He like, I think it was probably book people. They'd put him in like a throne, you know, like big thing with like spires <laughs> on the back. And I was like, oh, is that God. the king? What is going on? And, and then it was summer. I think it was summertime in Austin. It was hot, anyways. Maybe it's always hot in Austin. And he was sitting up there in that throne and wearing like an orange scarf twice around his neck. And I don't know how he was living in that kind of. I don't know how you wear a scarf in like ninety degree weather, you know. So <laughs> he's made of something different than I am, you know. But yeah, but now yeah. That you mention it. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, Every time but, I see but, that guy, he's wearing a scarf. So that's all oh, I was really? going to say. But, oh, yeah. maybe he's a vampire, huh? He's got scars. I didn't ever think about that. He's hiding something. Cool. But, but yeah, I, I mean, as far as the footnote game, number one, I think he did it better than I did. And it could be that David Foster Wallace did it better than either either of us, you know? Um, but um, we were all doing it in different ways, I think. And I feel like something about the 90s, I think it was probably something to do with the internet at our fingers it made information Mm -hmm. accessible in a way and it hadn't been before and so the trivia game started finding its way into fiction you know and i think um um daniel lewski and david foster wallace were both like expressing that in some way you know and i know for me demon theory the footnotes from there 
the first place they come from is me calling myself out as I was writing it. Cause I would say, you stole this from John Carver. You stole this, you know, just to, just to keep myself honest and feel like I was not a total thief. But, um, it also came from me being a librarian at the time. And I always had to search up OCLC records, the library of Congress. And, um, I was, I was the video cataloger. So we'd get all these crazy like VHS tapes with, Polish titles and I would have to figure out what the title is. And there was like 10 copies of it in the world and I'd have to make up records for it. So I'd have to do all this subject heading work and all this research. And then in my, my boss, she told me about this, this site called IMDB. And I was like, weird. And so I went there and that was just like me falling into a rabbit hole for the rest of my life. IMDB. You yeah. Know? Just and picture you first. watching like, T- grabbing <laughs> yeah. 10 different videotapes you think are all different and yeah. essentially you're just yeah. you end up watching the fireman's ball 10 times in a row <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, i would i would i mean i could i could i could get a booth at the library and watch them if i wanted on on the on my on the hourly thing but i would take a lot of them home and watch them at home as well because it was really cool watching that super indie stuff you know it was really from other countries i really i mean it was an education for me it was really cool and you know, I, should, I say that the internet was maybe responsible for this, like, flourishing of footnotes, but I think I probably say this in the introduction to this SST demon theory, too. I think pop-up video on VH1 had a lot of impact mm. on the world, too, you know, because it created wow, this yeah. sense that it was almost like augmented reality. Like, when I'd look everywhere, I would see these little dialogue lines popping up, like, this is from that, this is from that, this is related to that, you know? And so it started creating, like, a web and everything I saw, and, of course, that found its way onto the page and the stories. Damn, that's fascinating. I never thought about that. But yeah, it's like you you couldn't have context at your fingertips like that before yeah. something like that. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. yeah. Well, even in your introduction, you mentioned... Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry, Jesse, go ahead. Oh, no, no, go ahead. I was just probably another tangent because I was like, well, then we go from Demon Theory to however many years later it is, that movie Detention, which was a horror yeah. movie that was done all pop-up style kind of or... Yeah. Or maybe yeah. it was just the co- the commentary. I think that's what it was, and I'm I'm forgetting. Like the director's commentary was a pop up commentary. It was well, pretty neat. I've got that DVD. I need to watch the commentary. I did not know that. I love it when that happens. <laughs> I love it. It's something all altogether all different. I think from what I'd yeah. seen up until then. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Oh man, but Rob, we that's what I love. No, no, no. I was yeah. first. I was, I'm going to say that's what I love about being friends with Jesse is that. Mm-hmm this man's brain contains so much fascinating stuff that he is like my pop-up video, like <laughs> in fucking real time. Um, but in your introduction, you mentioned um, in word discovering like the formatting for, mm-hmm. for footnotes and stuff like that. And that kind mm-hmm. of revolutionized the whole thing. Um, mm-hmm. Which, and then going back to talking about Mark Danielewski, when I talked to him about one of his books, we were talking about his formatting and everything. And, one of the things that he has kind of fallen victim to with uh, the uh, unconventional way that he does stuff is that he's kind of ahead of his time in a way where like mm-hmm. he misses audiences a little bit with um, the more advanced stuff. Like he does enhanced audio uh, um, eBooks and stuff, advanced eBooks mm-hmm. and stuff. And mm-hmm. they they don't seem super um, successful, mm-hmm. but then it's like, I don't want people who are doing things that are new and different to feel discouraged because then it might not yeah. happen anymore. And so, yeah. like, I think books like this need to be celebrated and talked about and examined, like, what's going on and mm-hmm. why and how does it yeah. enhance the story? Yeah, that, that you know, I was talking about FC2 earlier, Fiction Collective 2, and that's what I like about them, that they do books that you hold them at arm's length and you're like, is this even a book? You know, I don't understand what's <laughs> going on on this page and also this page and this page is even weirder. But it's almost like... um like the music scene needs garage band DNA to get infused into it, to keep it fresh and to keep it moving forward and evolving into the next thing. And fiction needs that as well, you know? And yes, Daniel Uski with his wild experiments, like probing at the edges of the comprehensible, we need that kind of stuff, you know, for sure. And it's not always going to be commercially successful, but I do think like you were saying, Rob, that give us 10 dozen years, it might find a foothold, you know, and it might change things a little bit. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, because... yeah, like, like Danielewski's Only Revolutions. I thought that was a heck. Of, I like that book more than I like House of Leafs. You know, I think Only Revolutions was a good time, and it was really clever the way it was done. Yeah, and when I was talking to him, that's when he specifically mentioned there's an enhanced ebook version, oh. and the way that you experience it is like kind of more 
uh, I don't know, curated to the way that he would want someone to take the book in if they yep. didn't know like the formula of how you're supposed to do it or whatever. And yeah, so yeah. Um, that yeah. was like a big effort for him, but it didn't really seem to go anywhere. And I was like, please yeah. don't be discouraged. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, like what is what's that guy's name? Steve Thomas Sula with FC2. He did a book on a CD and it, it, it was a book that would not conform to pages, you know? And so he had mm-hmm. to do it some digital fashion. I've still got that CD, right? It's still wrapped in its shrink wrap. I haven't even opened it yet. <laughs> I don't even have a CD player anymore to, to play it on a CD drive. Um, and then, Richard Grossman, who did the Book of Lazarus trilogy, or the ABC trilogy, I think, or is it the Alphabet Killer? Something like that. Um, oh, man, Book is there a third one? I'm like, yeah, if, I if there's there a third was. one, I totally missed out on it. But yeah, there was the, yeah. the Lazarus one and the, yeah. the, the yeah. Alphabet one, yeah. Yeah, and he, he did Breeze Avenue, which was, it wouldn't conform to to like a book with a spine. So he had he did like a... Um, installation in LA of a 3000 page book that you walk through in a big space. Oh, you know? wow. and, um, and I'm excited for things that, like that to happen. You know, I mean, we're kind of past the hypertext moment we had in like the early two thousands, you know, which was fun, the hypertext novels. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the reason that they kind of went away, they did infuse stuff into the, into the, the mode, but I think they went away because they lock you into a browser. You can't really read a hypertext book on a device or not easily anyways. Right. Yeah. It's a, I think there's a return on investment that most tech companies don't want to get yep. into for stuff yep. like that. Like that's yep. why I think Apple's the only one that has enhanced eBooks Yeah. because they've got all the money in the world to throw at shit like that, to be honest. Yeah. You know, back, back when Del Rio came out, in 2010, I guess the publisher Trapdoor, they were basically a tech company who decided to do some publishing for fun. And <laughs> which is to say, the CEO of it, guy named Chris, he had all these like tech innovation ideas for D- for Del Rio, and he wanted to do an enhanced ebook of that, which was kind of like um, when you're watching Amazon Prime, and sometimes you hit a button wrong and you go into that X-ray mode, and you can see all yeah. that stuff. You know, he had he had kind of had that for. He he mocked. I think he mocked up some versions of, of an ebook of Del Rio for that, and wow. it was gonna tell you about the. It was gonna give you a little sketch of the character and what's happened up to here. It was pretty. It was some pretty cool ideas, you know. But then then Trapdoor went away and Del Rio went with it and the sequel too, you know. Man, that'd be yeah. rad. You could like totally put out a different version of that it could be like the Hell Bunny edition or some something yeah. crazy yeah. like that. Like maybe you're I'll seeing it. What what is Hell yeah. Bunny Vision? Even is it like the Predator yeah. or what? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that's a, that's a good point. You know, maybe maybe I didn't even think about this, but you know, I've still got the manuscript for Del Rio too. I could probably do a special edition that wrapped up Del. It came from Del Rio and the second one, Once Upon a Time in Texas, into a single edition. That'd be kind of fun, you know. Wow, I meant for it to, I meant for it to be a trilogy. I never wrote the third one, but I meant for Margos <laughs> to be a trilogy too. And then then William Mario when I when Margos came out, I said, "All right, here's here's my sketches for books two and three And they said. They said, what? And I said, yeah, I want to do Mongrels 2 and 3. And they said, we don't want you to be the werewolf rider. Give us something different, you know? <laughs> yeah. Different times now. Maybe if, like, even if there was, like, <laughs> six years in between that, because I feel like um, I feel like people are, are – people can just do, like, two or three of something and then give me another topic. I feel like it's a little bit more flexible yeah. now uh, or elastic than maybe it was back then. Yeah, yeah. Huh. I mean, I could That's I could find another publisher. I could find another another publisher to do two and three of Mongrels, but if it, I, don't, I don't think publishers um like you're talking about return on investment, and it's I think it'd be weird for a publisher to do book two and three. When mm-hmm. that's going to increase sales of book one for another publisher, you know? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. No, that's I never thought about that, but ah, uh, yeah, the way that you get locked down with publishing, and it's like, yeah, you can't just decide not to do something you got to do what you, you, you can do in the moment. Cause like the whole yeah. industry is, is fickle. And, and so, yeah, I guess you're just going to get caught in, in some quicksand every now and then. Yep. Yeah. And maybe it's huh. best. Maybe, maybe I would have messed up the mongrels story, you know, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> <laughs> that you have it um, sketched up that you had the idea in your mind though. That's still like, for me, that's enough. Mm-hmm. Like you've got the idea you've got, there's a seed there. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And like, yeah. who knows one day, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I can um, also do it as a comic, a comic book, probably, huh? Yeah. Yeah. That'd be pretty but, rad. You know, Mongrels has been trying to become a te- television show for a couple of years now, and I did give those pitches to the studio, 
you know, this is how later seasons of Modern Girls could look. And they were all, all super on board with the way that I had it going, you know? Wow. Dude, I got to say, yeah. if it did become a comic book, though, man, <laughs> imagining Delicia Williams doing some of that, too. I don't know what it is, but yeah, the way the way they draw faces on the characters, like, know, that is some next level graphic graphic stuff there. It's just those comic pages in the back of this SST edition yeah. really yeah. blew me away. Yeah, no, she her her eyes specifically, like you say, they're so expressive, you know. And I, I really am captivated by her art. She's amazing. Yeah. Um, is there an opening for maybe collaboration with her down the road, or um, is um, there not? I, I don't. I have not asked her. Um, I presume there would be. Yes, I know she's doing other things now. She's, but um. It would have to be kind of a side project for her, I think. So, which is to say, yeah. it might be a slower to develop project, you know. But um, that'd be cool with me to get her art. She's amazing. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, on the topic of demon theory, one of the things that we talked about was how um, it's really not readily available um, for mm-hmm. people. But um, a thought that I had uh, with rereading this was how. I feel like there's so much of the DNA of, of it in your later stuff. Um, I feel like there's a lot of your style that kind of persists throughout. Um, and I could just be looking for, you know, it's like that, like a confirmation bias. Like I have this idea, so I'm going to find it where I want to, but um, how do you feel about that? Is there like, um, does demon theory kind of persist through like your later catalog of stuff? I think it really does. I mean, demon theory is a second novel I ever wrote. I wrote it in 99, you know, and I'm, Right, right after the fast red road because I was really afraid at the time of being pigeonholed as a native writer. I wanted to just be a writer. And so I wanted to prove to the world that I can do whatever I want to do on the page. And um, I mean, who knows if that was the case or not, but I didn't want to be hemmed in anyways, you know? And, and so my, the rule I gave myself from demon, for demon theory was write a book that never says the word Indian in it. And I failed because it says it once it <laughs> says Indian graveyard, but, but uh, I couldn't figure out a way around that. Um, but yes, Demon theory is at the core core of everything I do. I feel like, I mean, number one, it's a slasher and it also has cycles. I love books. I love things that cycle, you know? And I think I get yeah. that. You, you said you were saying it is at the core of what I do. And I thought it was an uppercase it. And I was like, yes, Stephen King's it is at the core of everything I do, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because <laughs> it goes in cycles, you know, those 27 year bumps. And, um, and I mean, that's what my heart is a chainsaw is doing now. It's cycling through a trilogy, you know? And, yeah. um, I just, for some reason, cycle, and my very first novel, The Fast Red Road, it's also about the same story happening over and over with different characters or people getting sucked in to play these roles, you know? And I I suspect a lot of my books do that. Um, I think cycles and outsiders are two things I'll probably always be writing about. One time, uh, literally, with The Night Cyclist, at least. Cycles. I was making a pun. Yeah, I was making a pun. <laughs> yeah for sure. Sorry. Also, I have a bicycle story. <laughs> what is it? The God of Low Things, a prairie dog story about bicycles, too. <laughs> yeah, that's and right. I've, also got a, yeah, I've also got a slasher um, novella kind of sketched out in my head for that's on mountain bikes, you know? Ah, yeah. uh, nice. Yeah. Um, and people get worse injuries than this on their mountain bikes, man. <laughs> oh, man. The ones they don't walk away from, I'm taking it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you throw the word mountain in front of anything, it's just like yeah, the yeah. options skyrocket as to what could go wrong, probably. For sure, for sure. <laughs> um, this might be the corniest question I've asked anybody in a long mm-hmm. time, but for some reason, like it kind of ties in with that thing about the, the demon theory DNA. And mm-hmm. the thought I had was like, what would demon theory be if you had written it like in the 2020s instead of mm-hmm. all those years ago? And then my concern was your answer would be like, it wouldn't get written or it would be these books that I wrote. But I don't know if you have a thought yeah. about that. Like if it's something that showed up now, I don't know, yeah, would it be different a, or is that a terrible that's a good, question? That's a good question. That's a, no, it's okay. a, a good question. Um, yeah, it would be different because we have even more access to information, number one. And um, number two, I would have to fold in all these like, when I wrote this in 99 scream three hadn't even come out yet, you know? Mm, And, mm -hmm. and I didn't know that the like Neo slasher boom was going to fall down pretty much in what, Oh one or so, you know, I thought it was going to go on forever. That was my hope. And, 
so we didn't have Leslie Vernon. We didn't have Tucker and Dale. We didn't have Kevin in the woods. We didn't have so yeah. many things. And, um, I my, I guess my suspicion is it probably wouldn't have happened because, um, I would have felt like all these innovative slashers are already doing the necessary innovating. I don't have to be the one to, to carve that out, you know, if that makes sense. Um, but I did do what last final girl, that was what 2012, I guess, something like that. And to me, 20, to me, the the rule I gave myself for last final girl was do demon theory, but use no footnotes, you know? And, um, Mm. which was, but I was able to like plug in the same cinematic, prose style that I used in demon theory for it that I use also in what zombie bake off, you know, and that's probably my default mode. I can write in that mode forever and ever. It's so natural to me and it makes transitions so much easier. I don't have to stage the right sequence of words. I can just say cut to, you know, that's so much easier. Yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> Speaking Man, of zombie bake off, of like it, this being written now, what, what I kind of wonder is like, what if there was a sequel now? What if, what if they oh. like, like those poor, poor, <laughs> poor sinners had to come back yeah, for yet another, yeah. another three cycles another with all the technological yeah. changes and whatnot? Like, where would their heads oh, be at? Yeah. And especially Con for some reason. Con and Metatron are just kind of yeah. forever floating around in my head with their comedic commentary and whatnot. <laughs> I know. I really, um, yeah, you know, Rob, you're asking if Demon Theory is at the core of what I do, and it is. But at the core, core of that is Con. Because when I discovered Con, like, that opened up a new way of telling stories for me. And like, you see a ver like I think, I think um, Darren and mongrels is a version of Khan. Gabe and good Indians is a version of Khan, you know? And I think I'll keep trying to smuggle versions of Khan in to everything <laughs> I do. Probably he's for somehow he's like a character who doesn't arc, but he um, he's almost like plot grease. You know, he makes things <laughs> slide forward so much more efficiently. He's what I call. Um, I think. I think stories need instigators. They need characters who can take the protagonist by the hand and pull them in the next room, such that the reader doesn't ask, "Why are we going to this room? We're going to this room because Dean Moriarty and on the road is pulling you to that room." You know that we need those instigators who, um, who, who the first time you see them on the page, they're fully developed. They don't have anywhere to grow. They, they've kind of hit their ceiling. You know, they're not going to be perfect. Yeah. They're always going to be kind of stupid, <laughs> but they're, they're really fun. You know? Huh? That's cool. Yeah. All right. With the time we have left, Jesse, any thoughts or questions about demon theory for Steven that has not been covered yet? Cause you probably have a lot more notes and thoughts in your mind than I, than mm-hmm. I do. I mean, the one thing that I was kind of that I'm forever curious about, and I know there's yeah. there's information here and there. Um, but we were talking about the development of the book itself, and yeah. you know, its publication woes and history and whatnot. But um, and the cover art too, which is really really mind blowing. But I've always yeah. been curious, like, um, how did it land at McAdam Cage? Or I'm assuming Jason Wood, um, yeah, editing Jason it Wood. had a lot to do with it. Is he the one that kind of championed yeah. that? project and was like well we're gonna we're gonna bring you in for this yeah he did um it wasn't like a blind submission i think it was an invitation i think they solicited us if i'm not mistaken and it probably was because they were already publishing um will christopher bear and craig clevenger i suspect that was it and they knew that i was hanging with them on, on the velvet and everything and but I don't remember specifically and I've lost all those emails, so I can't go back and look, but um, working mm. with Jason was really good. Cause he a hundred percent believed in demon theory and he, he, he didn't come in like a studio exec and say, you know, what if there was um, a love interest or what, you know, all the stupid stuff that you, all the notes you get, you know? Um, and yeah, he was really good to work with, but if I remember correctly, he disappeared right around the time of publication. I want to say, I don't, I don't know if he was around for the trade paperback really. Yeah. And you know, it could have, it could have been, you know, you remember Guy and Tosi from the Velvet? Yeah. 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 yeah I, th- I think, you know, Guy was like an assistant editor or something there. Now he's at Rare Bird, but um, it could have been Guy who pulled me in. I don't, I just don't remember anymore. Hmm. Yeah. He was at Zank for a beat though, right? Wasn't he, was, was he there yeah, when he you did Flesh Boy? He, was, he wasn't there when I did Flesh Boy. Ah. Um, he might've been there for not for nothing. Um, Oh, that makes he, sense. Yeah, and he was at MP Publishing when I did Growing Up Dead in Texas, and was going to do Washed in the Blood. Yeah, yeah. Good old guy. 
Yeah, yeah, I like, I like that. He's he's good to work with, you know. I'm I, I'm eternally thankful to him because back when we were doing Demon Theory, um, this was before text messaging for me, anyways. Maybe other people were text messaging, like maybe Paris Hilton at eleven years old was text text messaging, but I was not text messaging. <laughs> but I think I think I had some like ICQ or some instant messenger, you know, one of all those old things we used to have, and. And so Guy and I would always talk on that. He was up in New York City, I think. And I would send him pages of Demon Theory that he would he would edit them. And when Guy edits something, he is like every syllable of every word. It's really intense. <laughs> and it's really wow. wonderful. But I had tried to sneak something in, and it was like Hale or somebody saying, um, you go there if you want, he smiled, instead of he says. or And and like Guy would usually just, just instant message me back, and I would see it in the morning or something. But it was, I want to say it was 11 o'clock at night for me on central time, meaning it was midnight or so in New York time. And guy calls me up on the phone, which was really weird. And he says, Hey, Hey. And I'm like, yeah, what's up? Because I thought everything's going away. He's, this is all getting canceled or something like that. And um, this wasn't for demon theory. This was for growing up dead. And no, this, this was for demon theory. <laughs> I think guy must have had his fingers in demon theory in some way. Anyways. Um, he said, I just want to be real clear that we're not doing this. And what we weren't doing was using smiled for a tag, you know, and I'm because I, I had seen it happening in other stuff. And I thought that must be the new thing to do. And so I tried it out and I'm so glad that he pulled me off that ledge because I, I could have fallen in and I would like now be in, I would like have no ethics and I'd probably like, I don't know. I'd be, I'd be a bad person if I now used smiled as a tag for a <laughs> you know, smiled and shrugged and all those, all those little things people do. They hurt my soul every time they happen. And I've never found an editor who likes them. I still nevertheless see them showing up in published fiction and it hurts me, you know? Hmm. So nobody's guffawing in any of your stuff you're working no, on. No. Well, no, guffawing is okay. I think that there's a division like there's, <laughs> Like the verbs go two ways and there's verbs that actually um, express the sound being made. Like guffaw is a, the sound being made a little bit, you know, and, but smiled, that's not vocal at all. That's just um, trying to smuggle a smile into the verb, into the tag. And, yeah. Um, I mean, we get what's going on when somebody says he smiled, he shrugged as a tag, but I think it is like a gate that is, um, opening onto chaos and madness forevermore with fiction, you know, and I hope, I hope that I see less and less of it, but I fear that I'll see more and more of it. And also what hurts my soul just as much is I see so many writers using semicolons, not just incorrectly, but stupidly, you know, um, <laughs> they don't, they don't do independent clauses after their semicolons. And I just, I'm like, that's not a semicolon. Um, that's not how you use a semicolon. Um, I was talking to a poet once about semicolons in poetry and we were going through a poem and I said, see that what's that semicolon doing there? There's not an independent clause about it. And, and this poet, she said to me, she said, Oh, you don't know to poets. Um, semicolons are just ornamentation. They're not actually <laughs> logical coordinators. And I just, I thought I'm going to go live on the moon. I can't handle this. You know, <laughs> this does not make uh, yeah. sense to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, was, I, I wish I could be um, like descriptive about punctuation and grammar instead of, um, like prescriptive is it prescriptive or proscriptive i always get those two mixed up but anyways i wish that i could be less rule bound you know and i wish i could just watch it develop and change because i do think if you put a glass bowl over something and say stay like that forever then it's going to suffocate and die you know i don't want post fiction yeah. to die at the same time years ago i had a grad student who every single time he used a semicolon he used it wrong and i'd always fix it on the page <laughs> for him i write in the margin these big essays is how you do it and he would do it wrong again the next time. And so finally I pulled him to my office and I said, we're going to go through this until you get it. And so we hunched over some papers and we went through it and through it, through it. And he had this eureka moment. He said, oh, oh, I get it. I get what you're saying. I was like, oh, finally. And he said, that's not how I use semicolons. And I just, I was, I thought this is it. I've just got to leave and talk a different language or something, you know, um, because I don't think semicolons are subjective. <laughs> I think semicolons are absolute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, 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 not, I don't have that semicolon issue, but I definitely have the thing where there's certain things I can't turn off when I'm consuming, like mm -hmm. when I'm reading, I, I want to be yeah. like, all right, I'm going to get, you know, Clevenger on the phone and, and let him yeah. know like, and, yeah. and well, not Clevenger, that's the worst example because 
it's really hard to pick find problems with his work but like yeah no, you know it's really um, hard. Yeah. this random author i'm gonna get him on the phone and yeah. correct him on this i just wish i could yeah. turn it off and just enjoy what they were doing um i know i totally agree <laughs> man craig spot talking about craig yeah you're totally right craig's prose has is never not absolutely clean and bulletproof it's really amazing how precise yeah. he is on the page and in the lines and yeah. i suspect craig even weighs like the meter of his lines you know um his stuff is just so so intentional you know like mother Hal blows me away that book it does exactly what it wants to do and yeah. it does it so cleanly and so precisely yeah i feel like he even kind of talks that way too when i'm talking to craig yeah yeah you, I always get it. Like he's never unclear mm-hmm. what we're, you know, mm-hmm. like it's, he, he's got yeah. a way with language and stuff, even casually in, in speaking that I'm like, can you yeah. just, you know, be flawed at some point, please? <laughs> yeah. Have you ever done that team building exercise where you like, you're in a room, there's 50 people and you get paired up and you sit back to back with someone and you each get like a bunch of blocks and the person behind you who they can't see what you're doing. They have to describe to you what you're going to build with the blocks, you know, and whoever yeah. does it best is the best team. Like Craig is the ideal teammate for that. Cause he would have, he would have you doing it right the first time, you know? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so to kind of wrap it up, first of all, I could talk to you every day, forever and we never run out of stuff to talk about especially with jesse around i would let you guys go and just like sit back and watch um <laughs> but um uh awesome to have you on and and the, i think the thing that because demon theory is not something that everybody can get mm-hmm. knowing that demon theory is kind of at the core of of what you do encourages them to like I heard someone say something about like, Hey, can you recommend me where to start with some band or something like that? And they said, start in the middle Mm -hmm. and go in either direction. And I feel like with you, either I'm going to tell them to read zombie bake off or I'm telling them start in the middle and go in any direction. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. there's not a bad place to start with you. Um, But it's nice to know that demon theory kind of informs or, or colors kind of all of the stuff that's out there. Yeah. Demon theory. It feels like the Rosetta stone for everything I do, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, and Angel of Indian Lake is, it's got a, I said that right, right? That's the right title? Yeah. Good. Um, I think it's got, it's got a D in front of it, but yeah. <laughs> That's next March, yeah. I believe. Jesse probably March knows 20, exact release date. March 26th, yeah. There March, you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there's yeah. another one that you have sold. Am I right about that? Yeah. yeah. I was a teenage awesome. slasher. Mm-hmm. I was a teenage slasher. I, Great. Yeah. I don't think, I can't, I can't um, say the release date of it yet, but it'll be really soon too. Awesome. I was really like fingers crossed that the timing of us talking would be when you were able to talk about the name of the angel of Indian Lake. Yeah. And, yeah. um, not quite, but close enough. Um, yeah. so I'm going to jump on public publicist real early to see if I can get on and talk to you about that. But, um, mm-hmm. thank you so much for taking time, Jesse. Thank you for being here too. And I'm oh, sorry if we didn't give you enough, mm-hmm. enough time to talk, but, um, uh, we'll catch up soon. Um, yeah, man. and yeah, yeah. Looking forward to it. Man, it was great talking to y'all.